You are listening to a sermon by Pastor Christopher Sally of New Life Christian Fellowship Church. The God beyond you. Amen. We have, for those visiting with us or have maybe haven't been here in a little bit, we are going through a sermon series entitled, uh, What is God Like? Amen. And we are looking right now at the greatness of God before we take an opportunity to look at the goodness of God and then finally look at the glory of God. But we are in a place where we're looking at the greatness of God, which means we're looking at his many attributes. And we have camped down on quite a few uh, already that we have uh, discussed. And now we are going to look to talk about one that I believe is the most difficult to process completely. Amen. But last week we had the opportunity to deal with um, the transcendence of God, that God, uh, or really the deity of God, that God is distinct. Amen. And the practical implication of that, again, to our lives as we, as we discussed it last week, is the understanding that, that God is active in, in creation and with his creation, but he is also, and he stands outside of his creation. He's bigger and larger and distinct from his creation as well. And I'm glad that he is because then that allows us to expect that there are things that God can do in our lives and that we can expect without exhaustion, if you will, like Daniel did, that God can do what only God can do. There is another uh, attribute of God that frustrates us that we haven't even talked about yet that... um, has an implication for us in terms of his distinction and his ability to be able to do things in our lives. And that's the sovereignty of God. God does what he wants when he wants. And that's frustrating for us because honestly, we would love to control him and we can't. Amen. And we would love to get him to do what we want to do, but he does what he wants done. But it is awesome when God weighs in on a situation in your life and gives you just a little something. Amen. And we had that experience, uh, Kim and I did this this week where we were excited about something God did. And it was so small uh, to us, but uh, we praised him and we thanked him and we were so grateful. And literally, as I was praising him, I could hear God say, see, I, I, I still tweak it for you when I need it. Just a little tweak. You said you wanted a little tweak? I gave you a little tweak. And God does that in our lives, and it is wonderful what he does. So I just wanted to give that testimony that there was real practical application and reinforcement to the transcendence of God, to the distinction of God just uh, this weekend uh, in our lives. But I want to talk about something that's, that's, that's hard to process. I want to talk about the plurality of God. The plurality of God. God is three in one. Amen. 
Amen. And you might say, yeah, this is, you You getting super theological. Now, now you want to talk about the Trinity. Well, there are some very practical implications to how God has revealed himself. Amen. But God is three in one. I've heard it said, and I agree. If you try to explain it, you will lose your mind. But if you try to deny it, you'll lose your soul. Amen. And so, again, it's something that we have to wrestle with. It's something that we can't, um, we can't uh, ignore, uh, but it's something that's not overly stated in Scripture. Amen. It's not, it's not something that you can go to a, a, a key verse or a foundational verse and say, ah, there it is. You say, wait a minute now. Come on, Pastor. I can recall in the King James Version in 1 John chapter 5 through uh, verses 7 and 8 that that's exactly. There is a proof text for it. It says, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one, and there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. Unfortunately uh, for, uh, for us, that, that there appears to be somebody that, that in, the, in the, you know, say the 14th century, they, they understood that the Trinity was an important doctrine, and that, that verse does not appear in any other earliest and most reliable manuscripts. It, lo- it looks like somebody tried to to OJ that glove and, and just put it in there and tighten up that PC, but it's not. But, but without that verse, trust me, there's enough in Scripture that we can see that there is a, 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 a Trinitarian theology that you can develop, but it's not based upon uh, that, that verse, okay? Amen? And so in the better translations of Scripture, they don't even include uh, that, that, that phraseology. But we must still come to the, this conclusion with a thorough examination of uh, Scripture. Amen. It's very difficult, but God is transcendent and he is distinct and he is a plurality, the plurality of God. He is three in one. So first of all, let's just say this. There is only one God. Amen. So that's the first that's the first place where you could. Oh, so he's three and one. So they're, they're, they're three gods. No, there is a come on, somebody, a plurality in unity. Amen. And a unity in plurality. You could say it either way that you want. But God is three in one. And he lets us know that when he look at Deuteronomy chapter six and four, it says here, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Isaiah 45 and 5 says, I am the Lord and there is none other. Apart from me, there is no God. 1 Corinthians 8 and 4 says, so then about eating food sacrificed to idol, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and there is no God but one. Same thing in Isaiah 44, same thing in Isaiah 43. And then if you look at 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 22, and 22, it says, and this is a, a text that we, we often uh, talk about when we're looking at um, communion. It says, no, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to 
demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the what? Cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in the Lord's table and a part of the table of demons. Are you trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Amen. So he was like, those things that are offered to pagan gods, those those are not God. There's only one God. It's either this, come on somebody, or that. You can get with this or you can get with that. You can get with this, or you can get with that. You can get with this, or you can get with that, but you better get with this. Come on, somebody, because this is where it's at. That's what God is saying. I'm just God all by myself. There is no God but me. That's why Deuteronomy 32 says they sacrifice to demons which are not God, gods that they have not known. Again, it's this or that. So there is only one God. However, it is one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So if God is indeed multipersonal, amen, what would you expect to find in Scripture? Amen. So as we go to scripture, if God is truly three in one, again, build the theology up from the from the observation of scripture, because nobody nobody started observing scripture and said we need to come up with something, something different and distinct. We need to make sure that we uh, say that God is three in one. I don't think. That's not how it unfolds. You start to look at scripture and you start to look about what God says about himself and what others say about God. And you start to scratch your head and say, maybe God is multipersonal. Maybe there is this thing where God has revealed himself as a plurality in unity. And the first thing that kind of that, that would let you know that is there's a Hebrew word called yakid, which means absolute or solitary oneness absolute come on somebody or solitary oneness that word is never applied to God there's another Hebrew word called echad which indicates compound oneness compound oneness that is the word that is applied to God. It's the, it's the word that you would see in Genesis 1 and 5. You know Genesis 1 and 5 says God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So it's letting you know when you talk about the first day, when you talk about day, it's composed of two things. There's the daytime and the nighttime. That's what makes a day. That word is ekad. It's a it's a indication of there is oneness. It's a day, but it's made up of two parts. Amen. Day and night. Amen. And so compound oneness is the word that is used in Hebrew. Anytime there's a description of God's oneness, it's a compound oneness, not an absolute or solitary oneness that's the word that's applied to God you would also think that you would probably then see plurality also indicated in his name the most uh frequently used name of God the name that is used in Genesis 1 1 when it says in the beginning God created is that word in the in the Hebrew which you're very familiar with which is Elohim amen Elohim is a plural noun Amen. The other word that we use for God is is Lord quite often. And that also that's a word that's Adonai. That word is in the 
plural. So then you start to scratch your head then a little bit to say, wait a minute, his, his name is a plural noun, whether it's Elohim or Adonai. And then God refers to his multi-person nature as well. In the text that we read into your hearing, God says, let us make man in our image. God says in John, uh, uh, Genesis 11 and 7, when the Tower of Babel situation was going down, God says to himself, come, let us go down. Come on, somebody. Come on. The group, let's, let's get down there and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Amen. And so, again, it's that way in, in, in Genesis 11. It's that way in Genesis chapter 1. And in Isaiah 6 and 8, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And that's when Isaiah responded, Here I am, Lord send me again that so many times that where you see that who God says and who will go for us that plural to singular there's an indication that there is a plurality in unity and here's a here's a passage of scripture that you this 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 is this is the this is the zinger here for me and and you recall that in Genesis chapter 18 um Remember when Abraham got those three visitors? Amen. And the Lord, it says the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of, of Mamre. And, and so he got these three visitors. And in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 22, it said the men turned away and went toward Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Amen. So there's three visitors the Lord and two angels. And you know, it was two angels because the two angels went on to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so those men left and went towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And in Sodom, in Genesis chapter 19, it says the two angels arrived at Sodom and Gomorrah. So again, it was the Lord accompanied by two angels. Amen. Then the Lord had finished speaking with Abram. He left and Abram returned home. But here, here's where you can connect it up, and it is a beautiful and, and powerful indication of two persons of the Godhead. In Genesis chapter 19, when it was time to uh, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, the scripture says that in verse 24, then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So the Lord that was, that had visited with, with Abraham, that Lord that was on the earth, which is what we call a theophany, which is an appearance of, of Jesus Christ, appearance of God in the flesh before God revealed himself in the flesh as God the Son. He appears, that's what they call a theophany or a Christophany. The Lord that was on the earth rained down sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord that was in the heavens. Two distinct persons, but still one God. 
That's why in Hebrews 1, it'll say about the son, your throne, O God, will last forever and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wit- wit- uh, wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the uh, oil of joy called him God and then says God your God again that indication at least of two persons in the Trinity God the Father and God the Son plurality is in the work of creation you'll see it there in the work of creation the Bible ascribes uh, the work of creation to God the Father and to God the Son and to God, the Holy Spirit in separate passages, it says in the beginning, God, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. In Colossians chapter one, it says that for through him, for by him were all things created. Now they're talking about Jesus Christ. By him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, whether they be visible or invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him, all things consist. They're saying there in that passage, the apostle Paul is letting us know that Jesus has a, a part in the work of creation. And then in, in Genesis one and two, it, it talks about the fact that and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters of God, the Holy Spirit involved in creation. And also in Psalms 104 and 30, it says, thou sendeth forth thy spirit and they are created and thou renewest the face of the earth. And so there is a plurality that is seen in the work of creation. Come on, somebody. There is a plurality that's seen in the work of salvation. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers that are are scattered throughout these different places, he says, elect according to the what? Foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be to you multiplied. That's a passage of scripture when we were talking about the ins and outs of God that we looked at again. You see, you're saved how? By the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification sanctification of God the spirit and and by the sprinkling of the blood of God the son Jesus Christ there is a plurality seen in the work of salvation God is trying to let you know it's comprehensive with him amen it's comprehensive I got it's full coverage foreknowledge and sanctification and sprinkling of blood God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit and again you think about the encouragement from the Apostle Paul or from the Apostle Jude when it gives you a benediction that says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and a love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all so you see that in the encouragement from the Apostles and lastly you'll see it in the baptismal proclamation in the great commission go ye therefore into all nations teach baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost amen and so again even in the baptismal proclamation you see this plurality being proclaimed so back to genesis 1 and 27 what is what does the scripture say there Again, it says that and that God created man in his image. 
And then it says it, uh oh, sorry, couldn't get it here. And he said, let us make, let us make man in our image so they may rule. And, and he says, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created yes, he did. them. See, there's also, even in that description of them being in the likeness of God, there is a plurality. He says, just like I created day and night and made it day, I created man in my image and I created them male and female. There is a composite unity that's indicated and it seems like the, the bible is just repeating himself he, he, just like it says and god created mankind in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them no he's he's repeating for effect amen he's trying to let us know just like there is a composite unity that 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 is in me i'm indicating there's a composite unity when i talk about mankind they are male and female but together they are supposed to be one, particularly when we get to a discussion around marriage. That's why he says, uh, and the two shall become one, one flesh. Again, he says, I created them separately. And that is why uh, this is a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Why? Because he wants to see a composite u- unity. Amen. A plurality in unity and the two shall become one flesh that is the word echad that's that composite unity so again not three gods amen only one god one god in three persons equal in essence though distinct in function mutual concurrence and agreement perfect function in unity at all times that's the part that blows our mind because we can't even get together with ourselves to do anything right. And here is God operating in three persons. How did I say it? In three persons, equal in essence, through though distinct in function, mutual concurrence and agreement, perfect function and unity at all times. That's why it should be, you can understand, it's from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, and back to the father what did i just say from the father through the son by the spirit and back to the to the father if you look at ephesians chapter ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18 you would see that when when he says for through him we both have access to the father by one spirit Amen. And then first Corinthians eight and six says it this way. Yet for us, there is but one God, the father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. Amen. So there is a a, a mutual concurrence and agreement and a perfect function in unity from the father through the son by the spirit back to the father now there's something that that's very practical here that we just need to i want to say kind of conclude on kind of remember because this is the hard part for you and for me 
there is an affirmation in that in the, one of those verses I just read. I think it was the second one. But there is existing in God's relationship within himself equality. Amen. There is no believer that would tell you that there is any person of the Trinity that is a second class citizen. And scripture affirms for us that there is equality between the father and the son, which is why Jesus got into so much trouble with the Pharisees when he said in John 8 and 58, Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you before Abraham was, I am. They were like, oh, those are fighting words right there, Jesus, because they said you're, he's making himself equal with God. He says, yeah, that I am of uh, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. Yeah, that I am. I am that I am. Yeah. Before Abraham was, I am. And so the father is equal to the son. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word what? was God. So equality between the father and the son. There's equality between the father and the spirit. Amen. There's equality between the father and the spirit. In Acts chapter 5 verses 3 and 4, Peter said to Ananias, this is, this is the only situation where there is, there's, somebody's talking about being slain in the spirit. This is, you're not slain in the spirit. In Acts 5, you can get slain by the spirit though. Amen. Come on, somebody. Now, slain in the spirit, you, you might want that, but you don't want to be slain by the spirit. And that's what happened in Acts chapter 5 when Ananias and Sapphira lied about that, that, that money that they had donated to the church. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And to keep back part of the price of the land while it remains, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not yours to do with with your own power? Thou hast why have thou conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied unto men, but unto God. You lied to the Holy Spirit. You lied to God. Amen. First Corinthians three and 16 says, know ye not that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwelleth in you. That's why your body is the temple of the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is dwelling in you through the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And then what about the equality between father and son? We talked about that. The equality between father and spirit. And now the equality between the son and the spirit. There are a couple of passages that indicate that. In John 14 and 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And he had just said, I'm going to send this comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Ghost. And he's going to teach you all things and remind you of my, the way of life and all of those things. But then he's, he says in 14 and 18, he affirms that the person that is coming, it will be the person of the Holy Spirit, but it will be him as well. I will come to you. 
God will come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. That's John 14 and 18. And then Philippians 1 and 19 says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And so again, the Apostle Paul calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So again, equality, Father to Son. Equality, Father to Spirit. Equality, Son to Spirit. Amen. Those are the things that God has shown us in this scripture. Again, there is a plurality in unity. God is three in one. Now, why do you care? And trust me, you should care more than you realize. Because, beloved, God has... (laughs) God has revealed himself to be three in one, but God has also revealed him, revealed to us that he wants us to be like him. Mm-hmm. Amen. And if God is a plurality in unity, he wants you to function in the institutions that he has created mm-hmm. as a plurality Absolutely. in unity. Now, the easy one for you to see is the church. Mm-hmm. Got it. He says we are, you know, everybody is a member of the body of Christ and each one members one of another. He talks about the fact that we need to have some unity. And I'll just touch on that as we conclude in a minute. But the big dog, the one we need to talk about yeah. is marriage. Male and female, he created them, and the two shall become one flesh. Part of what God is doing in marriage is revealing a pattern, and that pattern is plurality and unity. And just like with God, equality is not the issue. Uh oh, oh, peace out. Yeah. Yeah. What did I say? I said, equal in essence, though distinct in function. Oh, I don't like where you're going. I know you don't like because I'm coming down your street. Because part of the problem that we have with submission and roles and and responsibilities in marriage has everything to do with thinking that it eviscerates equality if somebody has priority and authority in a relationship. I'll say it again. Many of us believe that Equality gets eviscerated if there is priority and authority in a relationship. But the way God has revealed, come on now, the way God has revealed himself, he has demonstrated that equality, priority, and authority can exist in a relationship. You know why? Because that's exactly what has happened and does happen in the relationship that he has within himself. Who has the authority in the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? It's clear through Scripture, God the Father has the authority. Amen. God the Father is the one who sends the, the, the Son. God, uh, 
uh, uh, Jesus and, uh, and, and the Father, Scripture says, are the one that sends the, that send the Spirit. So God is in that position of authority. And that everything happens, again, is from the Father and it's always back to the Father. Why? He has the authority in the relationship. Amen? There's also priority. Come on, somebody. In the relationship. And the priority rest ultimately with the son because at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the father he clearly had priority when he was walking the earth he was God in the flesh he was fully God and fully man and he revealed this says that that the law came by Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ he had the priority and now in this church age guess who has the priority in the relationship it's God the Holy Spirit because now it's been revealed according to Colossians 1 and 27 God Christ in you the hope of glory so the Holy Spirit has priority to move and to convict and do what he needs to do in our lives he's get he's got the big chair he's got the big seat if you will in terms of where is the focus for the body of Christ it's on God the Holy Spirit because he counsels and he comforts and he convicts and he provides cohesion and care and concern for the body of Christ priority and authority and guess what none of it negates the equality that's why if you read it in the king james in philippians chapter 2 when it talks about jesus coming down to earth and it said he thought equality with god not something that should be grasped you don't have to grasp for what you already have. He said, this is not about equality. He said, but he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. Amen. He left behind the glory he had with the father and he submitted to the father, even though he was equal to the father. They said, we got to get a job done. Somebody got to do it. Somebody's got to go. And, and be fully God and fully man. Somebody's got to go in the flesh. And it was God the son that did that. And he, and he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. It wasn't something that needed to be grasped because he already. And he made himself of no reputation. And came and did his job and died so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Now, for your raggedy life and mine, if it's good enough, you see how my leg is shaking here? If it's good enough for Jesus, it better be good enough for you to be in a situation as a woman of God, married to a man of God, to say, I don't know why, but God has said, I want priority and authority to rest with the male in the relationship that has been created. It's my institution. 
I created it and I want the man to be in the in a place of priority and authority. And the hope would be that there would be perfect function and unity at all times. Of course, it would be mutual concurrence and agreement that it would work seamlessly. But I set it up as a revelation of myself. I want to see a plurality in, in, in unity and I want to see equality and priority and authority exist in that relationship. And I want to see it work seamlessly. And you don't get it to work seamlessly by Bucking what I have revealed. You want to go off book? What you're really saying is, I don't like how God has revealed himself. I'm not feeling that whole priority and authority and equality all in the same. I'm not feeling that plurality in you. I'm not feeling that compound oneness. I don't think it works. What you're saying is, I don't think you work the way you've revealed yourself. And what an arrogant and crazy thing to say to a transcendent God, an eternal God. To a God who is infinite, that has no limits. And he says, I'm simply trying to encourage you to be like me. I've revealed in these patterns of, of, of in church, the church institution and in the marriage institution, the institutions I've established, that this is who I am and I want you to be like me. You say it's tough. He says, I know it's tough for you, but I want you to make it work. I want you to understand that you have equality, but there's still priority and authority that can rest with one person. And it can still work for your good. And my glory. And you just thought the Trinity was a theological doctrine discussed at seminary. It's not. This is practical, everyday living for your marriage, if you're married, and for the church relationship and a plurality in unity is what you see when you want to see God says I want there to be multiple leadership I want it to be male and I want that leadership to be plural but he wants us to function plurality in unity and it is acceptable to have a chief speaker if you will or the it's like there, there, there was always a leader of the apostles it was the apostle Peter was the he was the the, the one that was the chief speaker and the one who was the, uh, the, uh, the first, first among equals. That's how I play it when I think about the leadership we have at the church because that's how God would want it. Me and Pastor Mark are equals, but it is acceptable to have a role in the function of a senior pastor who takes the lead on behalf of those that are equals. It's not a one-man ministry. There is plurality in unity and hopefully unity in plurality. God wants to see you function in that way in your life. God wants to see that be the case in our church. God wants you to be able to do that in your marriage. And if you happen to be in a place where you need to be like Jesus and submit, do it like Jesus did. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And if you happen to be in the position of priority or authority in a relationship, do it like God the Father, who, as we already described, God operates with unfathomable. 
unfailing love. And he rewards justly those that do things. So again, a position of authority does not mean a position of abuse. It means that you work with mutual uh, dependence upon one another for the good of the Lord. So we being many are one body in Christ and each one members one of another. That's why in Philippians 2, 2, it says, fulfill my joy that she be like minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He says that in Philippians 1 and 27, let your conversation be that be that becometh the gospel that I may, whether I come, uh, if I'm absent from you or I come to see you, that she stand fast in the faith in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Why can he insist upon that unity? Because he says, that's how I've revealed myself to you. And I want you to be like me.